Hey everybody, it's T with Abduction Enigma Podcast. So what I got for you guys this week is a 1994 interview with Katrina Wilson on Art Bell's Dreamland. But first, what I got for you guys is a little bit of a rant so you guys can skip past that. And before we start the interview, I also want to teach you guys how to do a little bit of UFO research. Alright, let's get it. Now before we get to the rant section, I want to touch on how to do UFO research with you guys. Now that isn't to say that you're doing it wrong. But I want to share my experience with you guys. So I reached out to my local MUFON and I asked a question. Because I'm just a researcher, I have no clue how to get a hold of case files. So I asked, Hey, do you have to join MUFON in order to get a hold of case files such as the 1976 alien abduction of Kentucky? And I was met with no response. It's even been a couple months now. So I had to go another route. So I got MUFON's main number, not the local Colorado MUFON. I gave them a call, and I was put in contact through email with Bob Spearing. Bob Spearing sent me to an archive, APFU, which is a Swedish UFO archive, which I suggest you check out. They've got a lot of great stuff. Unfortunately, they didn't have any case files on American abductions. They're more the foreign cases, which is understandable. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, how am I going to do this? I have the MUFON Journal, the APRO Bulletin, the International UFO Report on the 1976 alien abduction case of Louise Smith, Mona Stafford, and Elaine Thomas. But these simply aren't good enough. I need more info. Now, because my local MUFON hadn't actually given me any info on how to get case files, Bob Spearing helped, but not as much as I would have liked. I still thank him for that though. I reached out to somebody I thought might be able to help me, which is one of my past guests, Kathleen Martin. Now I respect Kathleen greatly. I like the work that she does. So I figured if anybody knew, she definitely would. So I got in touch with Kathleen through email. Kathleen was very helpful. She gave me a couple different contacts told me to reach out to BJ Booth in relation to this case, but in general. She also put me in contact with David Marler. David Marler has the National UFO Historical Records Center, which I was unaware of, which is one reason I'm sharing it here. Because this case has been very hard to track down you got blurry photos in the MUFON journal from 1977. They just look like black blobs, including one picture that I definitely need, which is a burn mark that's on Louise Smith's neck after her experience. But I digress. Because the point was, David Marler emailed me back and told me he in fact does have a file and this excited me greatly because, again, it's been hard to track down. There's a lot of drama about this case within three different research organizations, which if you look at my Facebook page, I've talked a little bit about, but nobody ever mentions it. Nobody ever mentions it in their book with exclusion to 
the Apro Bulletin, and Jim and Coral Lorenzen. Well, he got back to me and gave me a 96-page dump of Bob Pratt's files that he did for the National Enquirer when he was asked to go out there. And I cannot thank David Marler enough for that. Because, again, tracking down any files has been tedious and hard. You can't just rely on these journals. Two of them were written by Leonard Stringfield himself. That is, the MUFON Journal, as well as the International UFO Reporter. That's two from one guy. And they don't actually cover what was covered in the APRO Bulletin of the infighting between the three groups. Now, me personally, I read a lot of books. I reach out to people. I have this podcast. I do interviews. I still was not aware of how to get a hold of case files. Now, first off, you can reach out to David Marler at his archive, and he will help you. But not only that, I feel like not enough people know that you can go to different archives and get these files. I had no clue about it personally. I never had to use them. Thus far, I'm also trying to track down the work of Dr. Leo Sprinkle in regards to this case, because he hypnotically regressed them. I want that transcript, and I'm going to get a hold of it, if that is possible. He has his own archive. Now, not every researcher does have an archive, but a lot of them do. That includes John Mack, Whitley Strieber, Thomas E. Bowler, tons of people. So, I want to teach you guys, just, if you are a researcher, you want to write a book, and you want to be extremely thorough like me, or just in general, hit up these archives and find the data. Get the case files if you can. This was actually just meant to be a chapter in a book that I'm calling Abductees, which again is a working title, title just like Dark Black Eyes was. But I wish to help the community and let you guys know, reach out to these archives. Again, recently I reached out to the Dr. Leo Sprinkle one to get the transcripts. It's not very specific on the hypnosis sessions. So hopefully one of the very many files I requested is one of them. But you guys can do this too. Now I've listened to podcasts about this case. I've read brief things and books about this case, but it has it doesn't have its own book. And when I do see people covering it, it's not always the most thorough. If you go over some other podcasts, they're going to read straight from BJ Booth, who I also reached out to. But if you only go to one source, or even two, you're going to miss out on the big portion of the story. Now, actually, I made a mistake, and I should correct it right now. Leonard Stringfield, in fact, did briefly address the drama with APRO in the MUFON journal, but not to the level that the APRO bulletin did. So what I have now is the actual lie detector test given to the three women. Even the statements that they signed for that test. I have notes on their background from Bob Pratt, who was extremely thorough 
and met with people around the town on their reputations. Now here's one thing that really irritated me. I was trying to get a hold of the National Enquirer, the very one that this case was covered in. There was only one copy on eBay for $30, and I was finally ready to bite the bullet. The day I'm ready to bite the bullet and pay the $30 to get the, get the magazine, it is gone. I was very upset about that. But when David Marler sent me these documents, it also included that article, as well as others. So I want to thank Kathleen Martin, David Marler, and in fact, I want to thank Bob Spearing as well. But again, if you guys want to do thorough research, reach out to some of these archives. If you need help finding the archives or help figuring it out, just let me know and I will help you. Because we should all be one team and not three separate groups. And you can hear my irritation right there. But I'm here to help you. So if you need be, please reach out. This concludes my lesson. So as you guys know, I got a little bit tired of the drama and things like that. So I stopped doing my podcast for a little bit and I wanted to focus on the book I was working on. Which somehow turned into a completely separate book on the Kentucky abduction from 1976 of Mona Stafford, Louise Smith, and Elaine Thomas. And if you're on my Facebook page, you can see that I've been hard at work on that. So I'm driving home from work and I get this notification. Nathaniel Gillis liked a picture. And I thought to myself, wow, really? After the episode I made about him? I can't say it was dogging him too much. But it was definitely pointing out some really bad issues that I find with Nathaniel. Well, Nathaniel happened to unlike the picture. But you know, I still got the notification, so good job on that, Nathaniel. But here's the thing. I don't dislike you, Nathaniel. I just think you need to be a little more original. Don't take the work of Paul Enno, Dr. Carla Turner, and many others and just claim them to be your own. If you have a working hypothesis, great. As do I. But I'm also open to other possibilities. But here's the thing, I will reiterate again. You are not welcome on this podcast, and you never will be. You were invited on at one point. You never got back to me. Therefore, forcing me to go and get clips from other podcasts to make my point. And as I said in said podcast, I don't like doing it. But you left me no choice. So here's what you need to do. Just take the L and better yourself. I don't think you're a bad guy. But you have some major things you need to work on, and you're definitely not going to go and attacking other researchers. Not on my watch. And you're not going to steal other people's work without me pointing it out. Now, Nathaniel, if that pisses you off, that's just going to be too bad, buddy. That's life. I don't mean to piss you off, but I'm not going to let you sit there and trick the public like you do. You've got your little fan base, and you can keep them. 
They don't have to listen to my podcast. I don't care. But you are not going to sit there and mess with the public like that. Now, I don't know why it took you months to find it. But it's fine with me. And also, you don't have to have notes when you're doing an interview. If you've studied it thoroughly, it should be in the forefront of your mind, and you should be able to articulate and explain it clearly to people. Now, I see in your Facebook post, and, you know, again, I don't care if I pissed you off. And if somebody asked me right now, reiterate the story of Pat from Dr. Carla Turner's book Taken, I could do so. Therefore, you should be able to as well, without notes. Now, I will reiterate again, if you want to keep doing your interviews, go right ahead. I don't even care at this point. I had my say. People know, and it's out there. But rather than you being open-minded to other people's theories, you go ahead and you attack them because of your own preconceived notions. That being said, you now have the pictures of Dr. Carlos Turner's neck for yourself. You're welcome. Now leave other researchers alone about it. Now there's one more thing that we should address. Now here's the thing, I have no doubt that you'll mention me on another podcast and it'll keep on circulating, probably be part of your story, you know, some asshole called me out and blah 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 because it pissed you off. Now again, I gave you fair warning. Not only had I invited you on at one point, I told you on that Facebook post that I was going to put you on a podcast. I'm putting it on my podcast is what I said. So you were aware that I was going to do it, you just didn't believe me, I suppose. Now rather than just seeming like a dickhead, I want to make something very clear. I get it. You do a lot of interviews, you might get mixed up. But here's the thing. I really don't know how you mix up that one particular case and mix it with others. That case in itself is extremely unique. When I tell people about the alien abduction phenomenon, I do not mix that up with others. And nor should you. Maybe it would be a good idea if you went in with some bullet points. Now again, I'm sure you're very nice. I said it then, I will say it again. Now this is going to be the last I'm going to say of it because I'm tired of ranting. I didn't even want to make the episode, but you pushed me far enough where I had to. Here's something for you to keep in mind. For your listeners. They trust you and listen to you. Therefore, when you mix a story up like that, they're going to go and try to make that point to somebody else and say, Nathaniel told me this story. And then they have the facts wrong. And the sad part is, that isn't on them. That is on you. That is your responsibility. And you keep that in mind for your listeners, because that is your responsibility. So, I think it should be noted. Okay, I do get it. Now, doing interviews, you get a little nervous. 
I've only done one myself. I was nervous. I was all over the place. I'm better at interviewing than I am at being the interviewee. So I don't want to be too hard on you, but at the same time, again, you can't be messing this up that much or you're giving people the wrong information. Now, hopefully I didn't do that on my interview. It was a while ago. I think actually I may have actually messed it up a little bit. But the difference is, people can come to my podcast and get the entire story. I would mess it up due to nerves. Again, better interviewer than interviewee. But I'm also not a very hard man to get a hold of, so anybody can feel free to message me on my Facebook page or even my email, which is right there. That includes Nathaniel. There's also one more thing. On that podcast that I posted about Nathaniel, we heard a clip in which he said he worked with a woman who claimed the exact thing as Pat did. So you're saying you worked with Pat. You see, that's another one of those things that needs addressed. Because I think it can be confirmed that you didn't. This is a pre-recorded, previously broadcast program. Welcome to Dreamland, a program dedicated to an examination of areas in the human experience not easily nor neatly put in a box. Things seen at the edge of vision, awakening a part of the mind as yet not mapped, and yet things every bit as real as the air we breathe but don't see. This is Dreamland. It is Sunday evening, indeed. It is once again Dreamland, and I think you're going to love our guest this morning. She is Katerina Wilson. She is an abductee. She has written a book called The Alien Jigsaw. And I think you'll find this absolutely fascinating. As usual, with us uh, in the very first portion of the show is Linda Howe, this morning, or this evening rather, all the way from Philadelphia. Her home, where she'll be reporting on who knows what, but something that has something to do with one of the two subjects that we discuss. All the way to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania now, and Linda Howe. Good evening, Linda. Hi, Art. Last week, I interviewed a woman in Alturas, California, about strange craft and beams of light that she and others have seen in that wilderness area, not far from the Oregon and Nevada borders. Yes. Four people there have also seen triangle-shaped craft appear to send light beams between each other. And at the end of my Dreamland segment last week, I asked people to write me about any information they have about government interactions with UFOs that might give more information about the question of a possible secret conflict with some kind of off-planet intelligence. One source that emerged this week is a man from the Navajo American Indian Nation who joined the United States Regular Army on July 27, 1977, when he was 23 years old. His name is John T. Vasquez, and I think you've had him on another one of your programs, Art, but I don't think that he has, his story has been shared on Dreamland. Okay. He was first assigned to Echo Company, 1st Advanced Infantry Training Battalion in the 1st Infantry at Fort Benning, Georgia, near Columbus, Georgia, 
which is south of Atlanta on the Alabama border. The commander of Fort Benning in September 1977 was Major General William J. Livesey, Jr. By September 1, 1977, John Vasquez was shifted to Delta Company in the 1st Battalion, 1st Infantry. The next day on Friday, September 2, 1977, at 7.30 p.m. in the evening, there was a mandatory formation of the 1,200 men in the 1st Battalion where company commanders planned to introduce themselves and their staff. All 1,200 men were outside in their companies in formation under a clear night sky when someone yelled to look up. John Vasquez saw a light that looked like a star moving in a zigzag motion. Then he saw some of the men start running away out of formation and saw a light coming closer to the ground. This is John Vasquez now speaking in his own first-hand eyewitness testimony about what happened next. Okay, excellent. Here comes the report. And by this time, it was already coming down uh, to Charlie Company, and it was just this one ball of light, and it was about 15 feet in the air, mm -hmm. maybe 10. And, and, and I didn't know what that thing was. Uh, I thought it was still a truck or a cheap. Mm -hmm. and, and when I pulled myself backwards, I, I looked up at the guy who was in front of me, and, and he was standing there asleep with his head bowed. And his eyes closed? Eyes closed. He was asleep. So I pulled myself backwards, leaned backwards a little. And by this time, I don't know what happened, but I, I guess I became unconscious or something. Do you remember going to black or your body moving? Or did you... Do you no, it just, I just became... Uh, uh, somehow I, 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 I felt this, this, this falling out or, or this unconsciousness coming across, like somehow falling asleep. And the sound of your commander's voice as he was speaking from the podium? I, I didn't hear him at all. Okay. Uh, I was fixed on this light. Right. And I, had, and I was falling, you know, moving backwards by this time when I saw this light and saw this guy's face. Mm -hmm. And standing there asleep. So I moved back. And that's when I became real unconscious a little bit. And I don't know how long that was, but when I came to, I couldn't move. My foots were frozen, or I couldn't move my legs. I tried to move my legs, but I couldn't move. And what were you seeing? I was looking at my foot. So your your head is down, and yeah, you when I came to, um, I looked at my foot, both my feet, mm -hmm. and I tried to move, mm -hmm. and I couldn't. So when I looked looked up, I turned my right body, and I noticed that uh, this there's a pop. 30 people still standing around, and the CO was standing there behind the podium, and I saw my buddy who was standing at, at, right next to me, to my right, running, and a, a lot of other guys are running into the trees and underneath the building. And, and the commander, was he asleep, unparalyzed, or what? When, when, when I couldn't move, I had it call my buddy to come back to help me and he did come back and he had to physically pull me away from where I was standing at and when he did that we we pulled I pulled out out of that place where I was standing and we started to run 
and I, I call my buddy who is on my left hand side now that I wanted to see the CO and and he was screaming something but I, I didn't understand what he was saying. I wanted to see I was screaming I was screaming too and, and I was I wanted to see the CO so we ran over to the CO and he was standing behind a podium asleep. With his eyes closed, too. Yeah, he had his eyes closed, and his head was partially bowed, and he was standing there asleep. And I screamed, I know I screamed, wake up, out loud, real out loud, and he wouldn't. And and by this time, my friend who, or my buddy who was standing to my left had turned around, and he was, whatever he was looking at, he was looking at kind of sort of straight up, and his face was all pale. And his eyes were like fishbowls, and 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 like he had had his jaw open, and and I was looking at him, and it's like something was draining sort of out of him, like he was in a kind of a trance look. Mm -hmm. So I shook him violently. I shook him real hard, and I told him, "Don't look, don't look." And when he when he came to, he he was saying, "What's going on?" What's going? And I just told him, "Just take cover." Just take cover and we started to run and what and uh, by this time this ball of light huge ball of light just, just showed up to the first building in front of us and it was so bright it silhouetted all the frames <laughs> of the glass and in the, the scenes of the buildings you could see it Mm -hmm. It was that bright, mm -hmm. and it was in the other side of this first building, and it was coming around this building, and and at this time we saw the four people that was in, underneath the building, the first building, and we started screaming for them to to tell us what what was what was going on, what was this first this ball of light, and they were out unconscious. Really, they didn't move. I know we were screaming out loud for that same guy who just, just talked to us, but there were only four of them underneath there, and they were all out, hmm. lying there, just out, getting didn't move or anything. And did the light seem to respond in any way to the sound of your yells? No, it just came, It just kept coming around this building, mm -hmm. the first building, and just kept coming around the first building. And uh, when, when it came about to the edge of the... The first building I, I saw partially just in the first edge of the this thing, and it was so bright. I I, I guess I got uh, fixed on this light. And, and have you ever seen those um, those searchlights at a car sale? Sure. Yeah, it's like looking right into one of them. God, it was that bright, and it was coming around. And and my buddy shook. My buddy was laying next to me to my to my left, and he shook me and he yanked me and shook me and said, "John, what what is it? What is it?" And, and I kind of I guess I can't uh, stop looking at this. I can't, and I I turned to my my friend and I told him, "Whatever it is, it's coming this way." Okay. Um, about this time, um, I, I started to feel a pressure on my forehead, a real pressure, and it was kind of a squeezing type pressure. And and I was going, I was screaming, out, uh, screaming out loud, the pain, the pain, and, and I felt this this pain on my left forehead, and I heard 
Don't be afraid. And the implication, of course, is that these 1,200 men at Fort Benning on September 2nd, 1977, were affected by a light in what may be categorized as some kind of a multiple abduction encounter that involved telepathic communication, paralysis, people being uh, knocked out of their consciousness. And eventually, John Vasquez found himself standing again with all the other men in his Delta Company formation. They all reported that they were nauseous and disoriented, uh, the men around him, and no one knew the exact time because when he and three of the other men looked at their wristwatches, they all had different times. Mysteriously, by the next day, most everyone seemed to have forgotten the details of that night. But on September 16th, 22nd, and 29th, John Vasquez was entered into the Martin Army Hospital at Fort Benning for physical therapy to relieve severe muscle spasms. His medical records stated that John Vasquez's assignment was D-1.1, which was Delta Company 1st Battalion, 1st Infantry. Then he was shipped off to Germany in October 1977 and had no further memory of the September 2 events until he started having nightmares in 1989. In the last five years, he has filed dozens of FOIA requests for his Delta Company Army records. To date, every reply states there was no Delta Company and no John Vasquez at Fort Benning, Georgia, in September 1977. He is a frustrated man and is now trying to find anyone else who was in Delta Company, 1st Battalion, 1st Infantry, on September 2, 1977, at Fort Benning, Georgia. Anyone with any information about this, please contact me, Linda Howe, at Post Office Box 538 in Huntingdon Valley, Pennsylvania, zip code 19006. And as a further footnote to this art, it's interesting that I have confidentially heard a similar story taking place in a large United States corporation around 1989 that has never been reported. Huh. Linda, Miss um, Vasquez also did receive some Freedom of Information request uh, uh, documents that seemed to indicate uh, that the government was just about admitting UFOs. I don't know whether he shared any of that with you. Yes, he did, and I'm going to get a package of this material, and I hope to really go much further in uh, the investigation of this and do more reporting about other aspects of this case that he and I have discussed. But I feel that this is an indication that something is happening in the sense that uh, other military and civilians have reported either a multiple, this is large, 1,200 men, some cases smaller units, where they've encountered some kind of a light, uh, something has happened that was dramatic, and then they appear to lose memory, which they then recover later on in a variety of different dramatic ways, whether mm -hmm. it's nightmares or some sort of other uh, memory flash. 
And the fact that this kind of event may have affected 1,200 people, it seems to me that somewhere out there, there may be at least another one or two who have, might have their memory spurred even from these small excerpts tonight. And right now, we're trying to get corroboration. Okay, so there is that. And let me ask you this also, Linda. Um, is there any possibility that uh, John Vasquez uh, will be regressed hypnotically, or is there any further research that's going to be done into his memory of this? There are. In, uh, there is one investigator who has done some limited hypnosis on his case, and we were talking tonight about how we might go further. Uh, I don't think uh, at this point it's clear how to best proceed. He feels that he wants to see, first of all, if he can find somebody else from his company. He insists and has the medical records to prove that even if somebody is trying to expunge now from the record uh, the existence of a Delta company, that his medical records alone prove that he was in Delta company, and he is hoping he can find somebody else out there uh, who will come forward. Very good. Uh, great report, Linda. And just for the record, one more time, whether it's for your books or tapes, uh, or it's to contact you with information. Why don't you give your address and uh, your phone number if you wish? Right. Thank you, Art. It is Post Office Box 538, and the address city is Huntingdon Valley, two words, H-U-N-T-I-N-G, D as in dog, O-N, Huntingdon Valley, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and the zip code is 19006. And I think uh, I will, I, I like getting the letters uh, more even than phone calls uh, one way or the other because the letters that our Dreamland audience are sending me have some of the most valuable information that I have been seeing in the last 15 years. And I encourage everyone out there to contact me because I will uh, keep everything confidential uh, that you want confidential and anonymous if you want it anonymous, but it does help us trying to understand this bigger truth of what is happening on our planet. Great. Linda, good report. I appreciate it. I'm glad to hear the Vasquez story again, and uh, I'd, I'd love to know any follow-up to that. Uh, uh, yep, I'm, I'm going to keep on going and have a great uh, show with Katerina. Okay, thank you, and we'll talk to you next week from, from Philadelphia again. Uh, next uh, Sunday, I will be in Colorado, more mutilations in the south, and we're having meetings with law enforcement and some others trying to help improve the quality of investigation. The beat goes on out there, and there have been many reports of strange lights also. All right. Talk to you next week from Colorado. Right. Thank you. That's Linda Howe. She is our investigator. A roving investigator, I might add, um, all over the country, all the time, sometimes uh, Europe, wherever the action happens to be. Uh, in a moment, Katerina, Katerina Wilson, you've heard in 1987, Katerina Wilson read her first book on the UFO phenomenon titled Intruders, The Incredible Visitations at Copley Woods by Bud Hopkins. Her memories prompted her to fill out the Omni magazine questionnaire titled Hidden Memories, Are You an Abductee? In response to the questionnaire and other information, 
Bud Hopkins contacted uh, her, had a telephone interview with her, followed by subsequent investigation and regressive hypnosis sessions in 1988. This was followed by an investigation by MUFON investigator Vicki Lyons. Shortly thereafter, she began working with Dan C. Overlaid, a Ph.D. He was a clinical psychologist with over 30 years' experience and a MUFON consultant who'd also worked with several other abductees in the area. Katerina Wilson has undergone both physiological and psychological examinations with no abnormalities found to account for her memories of her abduction experiences. The book is called Alien Jigsaw, her book. It is a chronicle of the first 32 years of Katerina Wilson's life, an average American woman, and an alien abductee. Not so average. This is the story of a woman's search for answers, of adjusting to changing realities, and of ultimately achieving success over an overwhelming phenomenon. In her quest, Katerina has, uh, I believe, interviewed or investigated over 100, repeat, over 100 additional abduction cases. And in a moment, Katerina Wilson. If you'd like to call us, you're welcome to do it. We'll get the telephone lines uh, open just as soon as humanly possible, but we want to get Katerina's story out. So coming up, right after the break, abductee, author, Katerina Wilson. You're listening to Dreamland on the CBC Radio Network. calls to Dreamland with Art Bell from the Kingdom of Nine. <laughs> it's always that one. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Art Bell, and this is Dreamland. Throughout uh, Sunday evening, we will be here. And now, from, I believe, in the Oregon area, it's area code 503, so that must be her home, here comes Katerina Wilson. Katerina, welcome to the program. Hi there. Hi. It's great to have you. I understand, Katerina, you've got some good news um, on your book, and nobody else knows about it yet, so I thought we'd start there. Oh, yeah. The Alien Jigsaw. What's happened? Well, uh, I just got word that Barnes & Noble wants to pick it up, and so uh, we think it's going to be in bookstores everywhere by Christmas. That is wonderful. Yeah. They so must have a very uh, high opinion indeed of it uh, to pick it up, and of course, as you point out, it will be everywhere. Well, it certainly is a nice Christmas present. <laughs> it sure is. Congratulations, Katerina. Thank you. Uh, you are in Oregon, is that correct? That's right. Portland, Oregon. Portland. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh, for us, um, KEX country, we call it. Okay. That's your radio station in Portland, <laughs> right, KEX. Right, right. Um, Katerina, I like um, to be able to allow my guests to unfold their story their own way. So how in the world d did all this begin for you? I mean, there you were leading a normal life. Well, we, we think I was living a normal life. <laughs> Actually, I had quite a bit of memory since the time I was six years old. And I uh, managed to kind of put things on the back shelf as they would occur. Um, at first, when I was six, I used to think, well, these unusual things that were being done to me had to 
be happening because God was making them happen. You know, as mm -hmm. a six-year-old, that's that's pretty much where I put it. Were you a religious uh, um, youngster? Not really. We went to church every Sunday, but I never really connected uh, as a child or a teenager uh, with the religious community, although my mm -hmm. mother, you know, made sure that um, all three of us went to Sunday school every Sunday, and we were confirmed to the Lutheran Church. Um, but as a child, uh, and of course, you know, aliens don't exist, so the only other person that could uh, float you outside and paralyze you and telepathically communicate with you was God. So yes. um, that's kind of how it started for me. And then I had, uh, throughout my childhood and adolescence, I had uh, occurrences of missing time and unusual memories again. And uh, I don't know, I guess, you know, you, you just learn how to how to deal with that and adapt and you put it on the back burner because you've got other things in life you need to deal with and um i think for me what happened was i i had so many conscious memories that after a certain amount of time there was nowhere else to go with it i could i you know you can only bury so much in your life and pretty soon it just starts to bubble up and that started happening um kind of like the vasquez story uh that linda yeah. told about yeah, yes exactly. at, at, at some mm -hmm. point in your life even though it's uh, perfectly hidden it seems to start bubbling up many times with kind of dire consequences psychologically right whether whether it's a spontaneous memory or it comes through nightmares or recurring dreams um the, eventually the information um comes out i think with with most people if it, if it happens enough you only have so much space in your mind, and, and you eventually have to release it. Well, what finally drove you, I guess is the right word, to Bud Hopkins and uh, any other researchers that you've seen? Well, um, I would say in 1983, when I started keeping my journal, um, I uh, had some, some pretty serious events happen, and I felt like I had to get them out, so I started writing them down. I also had a uh, some some serious anxiety starting to develop and that started in, in 83 and then by about 86 it had uh, reached a point where I was I convinced my fiance Eric to uh, nail all the windows shut in the house and uh, I had all my cats um, in an enclosure and inside the house they you know couldn't run free anymore and I was going out in the backyard we had woods behind our backyard and uh, I was going out looking for aliens and I thought I was going crazy, and I had all this anxiety and fear, and I didn't even know what an alien looked like. You mean you just know. kind of out wandering around in the woods? Well, I would. Well, not really in the woods, but we had woods behind our house. We had a huge backyard, and I would I would be outside at night, you know, silly Katerina, you know, midnight to 2 a.m. going, huh. gee, um, where are you? You know, I'm expecting to see aliens, although at that time I wasn't quite sure what they would look like. Um, and so that was 86 and 87 i was in a bookstore and uh you know i picked up this this crazy book about ufos called intruders and i uh, started reading it and and my god you know it was like reading a story about myself all right and there's something i need to understand before we uh get to that portion katarina you say you were out in the woods you were plagued what exactly had happened to you to bring you to this point, or what did you think had happened to you at that point? Well, I was constantly—I don't know—I was constantly looking up, expecting to see a UFO. I'd had a sighting when I was 16, 
Um, I had had a pre-clear sighting of three hamburger-shaped crafts. They were silver with yellow, red, and blue lights around the midsection. My mother, my brother, the, man, the people I was babysitting for, and several of the children in my uh, cul-de-sac that I lived, you know, the street I lived on, they were all outside, and it was very late between midnight and 2 a.m. again, and we had the sighting. And um, the, the interesting part about that is, at the end of the sighting, I mean, to me, it lasted 45 minutes. I was the only one out there at the end. Mm -hmm. At the beginning, we were all out there together. And my feeling when I saw them was a confirmation of familiarity. It was like I had always known about them. And, at a, you know, at 16, of course, I told my friends in high school, and they ridiculed me and laughed at me. And um, I learned not to talk about those kind of things. So I, I buried that for another decade. And... Um, so at 16, uh, you know, so here I am at 26, and I'm thinking, well, I know they exist, and I know they're up there. I kept looking up, and I, I just had like a free-floating anxiety of, of fear of something out there that was going to come in and get me or and, and hurt my cat and me. And um, I was having, you know, I, I was aware of the recurring-type dreams I was having and the the memories you know i'd walk up to a wall and think gee you know i know i could go through this if i just could remember how to do it wow just odd things that and at the time of course i thought i was crazy because i had not read a book about ufos much less about the abduction phenomenon sure and then the, of course the first book i would pick up would be about the abduction phenomenon and um i had i think i had two books in my hand i remember one was about sightings and the other one was intruders i mean it was about ufos and i said well i know they exist this is what i need and i didn't really know what intruders was about <laughs> um other than the ufo phenomenon and right. and then again it was like reading um your your life story <laughs> so to speak so as you read you said aha uh -huh, this is it this is what's been going on no, I said, oh, my God, <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> and I, I actually gave the book to uh, my fiancé and said, you know, I want you to read this. And I just kind of, you know, put my head down and said, you know, we'll just wait and see. And and he finished it, and we just looked at each other. We didn't really say anything, but we looked at each other, and it was, it was kind of a sad, intense moment uh, because we knew without speaking to one another what, we needed to do and sure. that was to look into that and so you did yeah and um how did the research develop in other words uh, uh i guess it was bud hopkins right right all right uh how did bud handle it with you you talked to him once by telephone then what yeah, well, I I filled out the Omni questionnaire, and I couldn't just say yes or no and circle the answer. I had to go get my journal and write down all these things that, well, like, you know, for each question, I gave them about five pages, which I think um, any abductee that goes through this awakening and has somebody finally for the first time in their life they can talk to about this will know exactly what I'm saying when... When somebody asks you a simple question, you can talk and write, you know, pages and pages about that. Mm. So I ended up having to bind the material I sent him with the questionnaire. And um, I literally, I thought, well, this guy, first of all, I don't know who he is. And, and second of all, when he gets this, he's going to think I'm nuts. And my, my fiancé, my husband now, um, Eric, insisted that I uh, mail this to him. And I fully expected 
um, you know, the men in the white coats to show up at my house and take me away when he got it. <laughs> and I remember singing, sending it to his house. I didn't want to send it through Omni because I, I didn't want anybody at Omni magazine to read this stuff. I sent it um, to his home address. And mm -hmm. uh, then he called a, a couple of weeks later and conducted a, a pretty lengthy telephone interview with me and said, well, I'm going to be in town and uh, the spring and I'd like to get together with you and that's when he he did more you know face-to-face -face interviewing and that's when I wrote that infamous list of good and bad qualities down that he put in the introduction um, I had forgotten all about that that I'd ever written that down for him and we did two regressive hypnosis sessions in, in a weekend, um, of, you know, Friday and Sunday. Right. Um, and, and, and Eric was, was always present during those. And not a lot uh, of alien information, well, no alien information really came out in the regressive hypnosis sessions. Um, but what, what he was able to do was to break through um, some kind of mental barrier that either I... Uh, my unconscious mind put up or the, the beings, alien beings themselves, imposed um, on me not to remember. And by, the, by going through these uh, hypnosis sessions, I was able to look at a couple of areas of my childhood that were questionable, although no alien activity really came out. He did break through that, and wow, the weeks after that, it was just spontaneous memories, things. It was just like somebody had opened a door of a, a big, filthy, you know, cluttered closet. And so it all... And the door and all the stuff could fall out. It all came crashing yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I guess that's the meat of it then. Um, what in the world surfaced? What did you suddenly remember? What has happened to you, Katerina? Well, I figured out pretty quickly that you know, a lot of the memories that I had been holding in and denying, like the childhood experience that, that you know, from the best that I can remember to happen when I was six, um, that, you know, this most likely wasn't God that, that did this, <laughs> um, that there was uh, some other intelligence at work and... Uh, well, specifically that did what? What were your memories of... Well, yeah, the memories were of flying, seeing seeing the road below me and flying through the air, um, floating, not having any clothes on and floating and having a telepathic voice inside my head, uh, somebody communicating a very important message to me that I was not able to remember, but I knew that it was more important than anything in my life. Um, having, seeing a, like a hybrid, what I call a hybrid type being looked wearing a white lab coat, um, telling me that um, after this little mark on my arm healed that I'd have a little hole there. All right. And, uh, okay, you know, things like that. Just unusual people telling you things that really happen. You know, you'd wake up and they say this is going to happen. You wake up with this scoop mark scar and there it is. Scoop mark. All right, yeah. Katerina, I want to find out more about that. Hold on just one moment. We'll be right back to you. My guest is Katerina Wilson. And uh, her book is The Alien Jigsaw. The most important... Yes. Um, on your... Um, right arm. And, um, uh, it, it, well, just missing skin or, you know... Well, yeah, what happened was uh, my memory told me um, that 
there was a doctor, vague-looking face, but definitely humanoid, and he had on a white lab coat, and he had performed something. To, he did something to my arm, oh. and he said, "Well, you know, tomorrow when this when this heals, you'll have a little hole there." And I detected a little smile, and I smiled, and I said, "Oh, well, that'll be neat." Um, you know, I was a kid, like eight or nine years old, and I thought that'd be pretty neat to have a little hole in your arm. Oh. And the next day, I had this little scab on my arm, and it healed just very quickly. And um, there was like what I described to Bud Hopkins, um, my scars. He said, you have any unusual scars? And I described mine as looking like craters on the moon. <laughs> and I said, well, I have these little scars, but mine look like little craters on the moon. And this is what, you know, the, um, the one on my arm looks like. It's in the photograph in, in the book. And... What I did the next day, of course, was I wanted to show my mother. And I, I went up to my mother and said, oh, look, 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 isn't this neat? And mm -hmm. I want you to see this little hole in my arm. And she she wouldn't even look at it. She um, she became almost hysterical, you know, from my point of view, and um, refused to look at it, kind of threw her arms up and just got away from me as fast as she could. Wow, how odd. So I thought, well, gee, that's strange. And... Perhaps from her response, I spent, oh, <laughs> I'm, and I even try to cover it up today, <laughs> many, many years, um, you know, 20 years, trying to hide that little scar from people because I was kind of embarrassed for it to be there. Have, so. you, ever, have you ever asked your mom why she reacted that way? Well, not about that particular uh, scar. She is... She's kind of a um, a new recruit, so to speak. I see. Um, she is is still reading my book, which she's finding quite interesting, and so we're we're taking the questions slowly. Um, she she's about ha oh I think a little over halfway through the book, so um, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, how many um, how many of your memories, uh, Katerina, are now vivid? All of them. <laughs> All the ones All of them. that I, I talk about and write about yes. um, are vivid. They well. are, when I, when I talk about an abduction experience in my book, it is as real as my waking reality. Um, my memories of the, the experiences I chose to, to, to write about and that I put in writing are, are real. Um, if I have a vague memory, it was not, it, if, you know, my vague memories and vague dreams were not published in the book. I have a lot of that, but what I wanted was the ones I was absolutely certain about. All right. Now, All right. Well, then, give me some of those that are very specific, um, because you, what you described when you got your scoop mark, for example, uh, where were you? Were you taken to a craft? Uh, what kind of a craft were you in? Who was right. this doctor? Uh, was he, you said, vaguely or fairly humanoid? Or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that particular experience, um, the only part about that one, and that one is not in the book, the photograph is in the book, but that the part I remember about that really happened in the house. It was after I'd come back to the house, and we, he was, we were facing one another, standing in my um, den of the house at that time um but i you know can go back and there is a hybrid being that i call the doctor uh that i have a picture of in the book that i've seen several times he told me he had been visiting me since i since 1965 which was when i was about five or six years old i was born in 1960 and the the crafts uh, you know 
the ones that I see him in are usually very, very large. You know, some people will call these uh, motherships. Um, I refer to them in the book sometimes as three-story malls, which is probably why I hate going to the mall. <laughs> and <laughs> um, but they're they're again, this particular craft is large. There's usually a hospital or clinic type um, part portion to the craft. Very wide hallways, mm. um, curved walls. Uh, sometimes there's slopes, uh, sloping walkways within the craft, uh, and the, and the hospital-like areas. Um, there are clinical hospital rooms. They're usually fairly bare. There's a, maybe a bed or a glass box. Um, Very similar to the descriptions given by other abductees. Yeah, yeah, and, and like the glass box situations are usually during the presentation of infants and children. Um, they present a lot of these babies and, and infants in glass boxes. And um, that was a very vivid experience with the doctor. He was presenting me this black infant in a glass box and um, told me that this was my baby. And, and, and it was a black child. It was a black child. Well, actually, he told me it was mine and Eric's baby, which that was what really got me uh, because I, you know, we're both white, and I don't, I didn't, I logically didn't know how we could have a black child. So I left the room and went walking through this ship wow. to another room, and uh, which is something I, I think Forrest Crawford found very interesting that you seem to get to walk around the ship, Katarina, and not everybody gets to do that. Did you know that? And I thought, well, no, I'm always walking around the ship because I always, you know. I'm always doing something I'm not supposed to be doing with <laughs> and I usually leave the room or get irritated with them or something, and in this case, I got irritated and thought, well, they lost my baby. Right. And, you know, I said, well, hospitals are always losing people's babies. Where, where did I get that idea? You know? <laughs> and so I went to another room, and there was a, a woman, a human woman lying in a bed, and there was another glass box, um, you know, two to three feet square. Um, and she had a child in, in her box, and, and I picked him up. He had blonde, white hair, and uh, I picked him up, and he opened his eyes, and they were gold, golden eyes. Wow. And I always called him the golden-eyed boy. Um, but he seemed to have a neurological problem and was very, very sick. And, of course, I decided, well, he has golden eyes. He can't be my child. <laughs> um, that was before I... I really knew what I know about abductions um, today, and that is that there seems to be a um, hybridization type program going on where they're um, mixing, they appear to be mixing different races, you know, together. So uh, while the some of the children seem human, others are totally alien and others are in between where they have human and alien characteristics. Have, you know, they, uh, have they ever actually telepathically or otherwise talked to you about why they are doing all of this? That's, yeah, that's a tough question. Um, I feel on one level that I do know the reason why they're doing it. All right, Katarina, hold that thought. We're going to go do the news. You won't hear anything. Don't let that worry you. We'll be right back to you. Uh, Katarina Wilson will pick it up at that point. This is Dreamland.
is a pre-recorded, previously broadcast program. We continue with your calls on Dreamland with Art Bell. Call Art now, toll free at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-TALK. First-time callers, area code 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Or the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295. 727-1295 in the 702 area code. Now again, here's Art Bell. Now again, here I am. My guest is Katarina Wilson. She is authored a book called The Alien Jigsaw. Just picked up by Barnes & Noble, so you'll be able to get it anywhere, and we're going to find out more about her experiences in just a moment. Back now to Katerina Wilson. Katerina. Hi. Hi. All right. Um, so you, you think that there's some sort of genetic motive, um, uh, some sort of genetic uh, motive behind all they are doing with human abduction. Is that correct? Well, not just a genetic motive. Um... I think I may have left some of your listeners hanging. I was going to say I feel as if I've been told why they're creating these children, but I haven't been allowed to remember it uh, consciously. Um, I think that there is some holding back of information by the, the aliens themselves for whatever their purposes are. But um, besides the genetic uh, factor, I think that, um, or maybe because of the genetic factor and the creation of these other um, beings, uh, babies, beings, um, I think we, you know, have to look at the other, the type of psychological testing they're doing with abductees, the other types of physiological um, tests, and perhaps uh, uh, hindrances of, you know, maybe creating problems with people, severe medical problems with people, and perhaps even curing other problems. You know, some people report uh, being healed of, of problems that they used to have uh, prior to their experiences or an experience. Do you t detect their motives to be um, um, a good motives? In other words, are they well-intentioned toward us, do you think? Or sh is it something we should be frightened of? Well, I, goodness, even, even if their intentions are not positive, I don't think we need to be frightened of them. I think uh, being afraid is only going to hinder our ability to understand what they're doing. So regardless of whether they're they're here for good or bad, mm -hmm. the first step is not to fear them. And, um, you know, you're not going to be able to figure out what's going on and understand your experiences if you're consumed with fear. So I, I just want to kind of put that out there. Um, I have seen them do some good things. I've seen them do bad things. Um, there are times I feel like I'm just an experimental animal to them. There are other times that I feel that they love me and they care tremendously for me, uh, like I, we would care for our own children. And I would, you know, I've kind of, I guess I'm maybe I'm speculating or I'm just basing on my own um, experiences here that since I've seen so many different types of beings, they're obviously, you know, they have different agendas, and I think there are some here that care about us more than others. And uh, I'm not trying to back out of that question, but I, that's what I've seen. I understand. You know, there are some, um, some, some very loving, wise, spiritually advanced beings, and then we have things like animal mutilations going on. I know. Um, any way you look at that, that is not positive. So, you know, we're having a lot of different types of activity, and I, I think we have uh, different aliens with different agendas, and we need to, to figure out, uh, you know, as much as we can about all of them. Well, I don't know. The animal uh, mutilations may be involved may involve uh, environmental research. Uh, right. People mm -hmm. have 
talked about that. Maybe it is not negative. I mean, we, after all, experiment ourselves on animals for the benefit of mankind, medical mm -hmm. research. Right. So who knows? Uh, have they ever given you a message uh, for us? Hmm. <laughs> well, not really. They haven't sat me down and said, okay, Katerina, we want you to tell your people this. Mm -hmm. um, I have pretty much had to experience and, uh, you know, sort out, assimilate all the things that have happened to me and tried to um, figure out what's going on myself. Um, it's, you know, I am not one of the people that get a lot of answers told to me. I mean, they don't just sit me down and tell me things. It's I have to learn it for myself and figure it out for myself. I do believe that... There is there is quite a bit of information that I am not remember conscious remembering consciously that I think that they probably have told me more as to the whys you know of what they're doing than I'm consciously remembering. And Are you tempted to do any more regression to try to find out? There, well, yeah, sometimes. But mm -hmm. when you have when you remember so much, it's kind of like well. You know, let me just deal with all this stuff I'm remembering consciously. Um, why, you know, try to stir up any more than I, you know, I'm ready to deal with right now. Uh, I am pretty confident in um, the conscious memories I have. I am pretty darn good at just, you know, disseminating what, what is a screen memory, what was camouflage, you know, what was this theatrical scenario they were doing, and, and a, you know, a straightforward you know, uh, abduction, you know, this was an experiment, uh, this was a test, this was a screen memory, that kind of thing. I've, I'm really, I've really learned to um, discriminate between the different types of experiences. And then, of course, when you do get the screen memories or you know that you've had an experience and you don't remember anything, that is really frustrating. And, per, you know, perhaps hypnosis would help there and perhaps not. My hypnosis sessions with, with Dan Overlaid, uh, revealed some new information, but not a lot, not mm -hmm. very much at all. And we basically rehashed a lot of what I had already written down in my journal, uh, because I'd been, you know, I'd been keeping the journal, and it was important for me to uh, document everything I remembered prior to going through hypnosis. All right, um, I know that you've done some very interesting work in one rather sensitive area. Um, I guess if we're going to uh, follow on this um, uh, this business of genetic experimentation, and I know that uh, aliens have been said to collect uh, uh, ovum and uh, sperm and all the rest of it. And you tried to relate uh, the times when you were abducted, or I suppose when others have been abducted, to your menstrual cycle, didn't you? Right, right. Yeah, the the part the the research I did in the researcher supplement was um, because. I, well, I was one of these people that had um, a lot of monthly pain, and it was pretty much debilitating for me, so it, there was no doubt in my mind, you know, that I, you know, for my life, <laughs> my yes. life kind of revolved around either my migraine headaches or this other aspect of, of being a female. Uh -huh. And so there was a lot of documentation done, you know, with that for, for medical purposes and, and so it was easy for me to correlate when my experiences would happen as to the time of the month that they would would happen. Okay, what did you discover? Um, well, what 
What I found out, and I didn't write any statistics on this, this is frequencies and percentage uh, information, but what I found out was that um, the, during the first eight days after ovulation, I had the most, uh, the highest number of experiences. And whether it's statistically significant or not, I don't know. And we won't know until a lot of other women start, uh, you know, documenting this type of information. Well, I know that you've researched about a hundred cases of well, abduction, haven't you? Actually, um, my I think the where the hundred the number comes in is my book covers of 119 of my own abduction experiences over a 32-year time period. Um, as far as other abductees, I would say that. But the number is closer to maybe 60. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, that's you know, fine. 60 people. When I, when I, my work with abductees, I, I don't do, um, I don't perform hypnosis. It's more of a just uh, a support group situation, discussion sure. group, telephone therapy. I try to put them in touch with um, no, that's other fine. people no. here. No, that's fine. What right. I would, what I would like to ask is, what commonality have you found? Uh, if any, between those who have been abducted, including yourself? Well, I have spoken with some other women um, who have also noticed that they appear to be uh, abducted pretty regularly during the time they're ovulating. And huh. I thought that was quite interesting that this wasn't just an anomaly with me. It may be an anom anomaly with five of us here in Portland, <laughs> but it does seem to occur... Um, more often, pretty, pretty. I mean, it's like they can always count on them, the beings coming while they're ovulating. No, I think this I think is really, really an interesting <laughs> uh, aspect to follow because so many people have said it is genetic, and this would be another line of proof. Right, right. And that the reason I put this very personal information out there was because I wanted to encourage other women to do the same. They don't have to publish it themselves, but they can certainly share it with their uh, hypnotherapists or whoever they're doing their hypnosis with or any other researchers, um, this is the kind of uh, correlational data we need to start out with. I mean, you, you need to start with correlational data in order to work towards the... That's right. You know, we don't have the medical community behind us right now. And until we can get enough of our little pieces of data, you know, together to show them that, hey, we think we have something here, will you take a look at it? Uh, that's where I was driving, you know, what I was driving for, and I still am. And if anybody's listening and, and you're a woman and you, you know, are having abduction experiences, that you remember this, this is so important. This is one of those little things that we can do uh, not only to help ourselves, but to, to draw some attention from the medical community or hopefully from some of those MDs on the board of directors of MUFON, <laughs> you know, to take a look at this stuff. Well, um... Uh... I guess, I, I guess I'm not sure where to go uh, from here with you, other than to ask you um, if you can describe any of the beings that you encountered, uh, other than the doctor, the one that you described. Oh yeah, um, gosh, I have so many illustrations in my book of the ones that I, uh, I am not an artist, so I have to really see something in order to draw it. Sure. <laughs> and so I have um, several different types of hybrids, and I think that. We may be hearing more about first, second, third generation hybrid beings in the future from other researchers. Uh, I'm pretty much sure that I'm seeing um, hybrids with very human characteristics and, um, you know, to more alien characteristics. And I'm mm, 
speculating that maybe we're having a first, second, and third generation hybrids here, that they are becoming more and more like us, um, maybe, or, you know, perhaps so much like us that we can't really distinguish them from one, you know, from them from us. Do you, <laughs> um, think, they, do you think they're down here walking about? I think it's possible, yeah. I, I think it's probable. Um, probable. Probable, yeah. Uh, after, well, you know, and that's not something I say lightly. It's something that uh, maybe three years ago, if somebody had said this to me, I would have said no. I don't think it's probable. But uh, the different the, the different types of hybrids I've seen and how human they can look is just, and other people, you know, describing the same types of beings, um, I think it's probable. All and right. I've seen three, four different types of beings that I would classify as grays, um, very short, three-foot-tall, floating gray-skinned being to a um, seven-foot-tall um, gray being with the big head and the big round black eyes. Mm. Um, you know, they're, the gray, a gray is not a gray is a gray. Uh, there are different types of grays, and that's something that, that um, I thought was very important to, to put out and so I have the four different illustrations of those uh, beings in the book. And, oh, uh, probably the most unusual-looking being was the praying mantis, something I call a praying mantis-type being with um, ebony skin, mm. uh, kind of a, oh, maybe an exoskeleton. Um, but when she walked, she, she kind of, oh, I guess her back was at about a 45-degree angle, and... Her, she would kind of rock back and forth as her legs would move. And that was probably the most unusual type of being I saw. Katerina, uh, don't take offense at this. Uh, I'm going to just ask you a straight-out question. It is, how have you satisfied yourself uh, or come to terms with this question that you're not crazy as a loon? I mean, this is wild stuff you're talking about. Um, how have you satisfied yourself that this is real and not a concoction of your mind. Right. Well, what I had to do uh, was play by the same rules that everybody else has to play by, and that was that because of my migraine headaches partially and because of my abduction experiences, um, I've had uh, cat scan, a brain CAT scan, a CAT scan of my sinus area. I've mm. had right. a complete psychological evaluation with a psychologist that did not believe in UFOs and a psychologist that did believe um, in the you know possibility of the you know well I guess Dan Overlay believed that the phenomenon was real so we'll say he believed in it and then the the other doctor did not believe yeah and for the sake of the discussion his conclusions are perhaps more interesting the one who did not believe the one who did not believe um, his he told me that. Well, I did at my last meeting with him. I asked him if he believed in UFOs. This wasn't something uh, we really discussed, but at the end, he he knew that I believed in him <laughs> because I'd had that sighting and everything. But this was prior to the UFO investigation. Right. Um, he diagnosed me as um, you know a normal person without. I mean, he said you're you're okay. There's nothing psychologically wrong with you. You have some problems with self-esteem. Um, Let's see. We did, um, but not, par but not a paranoid schizophrenic. Oh no, no, no. There wasn't. There was no classification. I mean, he said I was okay. I was normally functioning. I had lo uh, low self-esteem, and that I had, um, you know, 
probably unsure about what I want, what I wanted to do with my career because that was a, a rough time for me when I wasn't playing music anymore. Well, that would describe many of us. Yeah, yeah. But he, you know, he didn't, you know, I mean, he, he, he was nice and he really helped me. And he also, we, what we did, what I did with him too was, um, he charted everything. Um, I ate for three months, and how I felt. We charted my hmm. mood on a on a daily basis, and um, he diagnosed me with severe PMS because it it was just showing. I mean, I thought, well, gee, you know, what's this guy? You know, I didn't believe in PMS back then. I didn't believe that this was a real thing, and it just, you know, this is what my diagnosis was: <laughs> low self-esteem and PMS. PMS, okay. oh well. Um, so I go with okay, Dan Overlade's uh, diagnosis was post-traumatic stress disorder uh yeah he agreed i had pms <laughs> and low self you know low self-esteem and so you know it was it's kind of funny to talk about this stuff okay so there yeah. it is uh two opinions what about the physical uh the, exams <laughs> the physical exams they didn't find anything in the sinus cavity of my with the with the cat scan that was uh, after an experience during you know during which i thought something had been removed um, from my sinus area, and Dan Overlay thought something had been put in. Um, and the brain cat scan was normal. Uh, there, there was, there were no abnormalities with my brain. And incidentally, I had an MRI done last weekend, last week, uh, last Friday. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the results back from that yet. But uh, I have pursued um, some further investigation because of the migraine situation. I mean, I can't go in there for for abductions, but I do have severe migraines, so I am able to to get them to look at my brain. So I'm, you know, hoping to <laughs> to get the results back from that real soon. So far, though, so good. No, but, no, ab ab abnormalities. no abnormalities. No, yes, and I'm the kind of person that I want to know the truth. I don't care what it is. You know, I don't care if the truth one day, 20 years down the road, we find out that. Um, this was all chemically induced by the brain, and you had the scars because of stigmata, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I want the truth. And right now, I believe that the alien beings are real, and they are interacting with us. But I, you know, have to remain open to the possibility that 20 years down the road, we may know so much more about medicine that, that this is a chemical imbalance, and, and, and our thoughts are creating the scars. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> but I have to remain open, at least uh, partially open to that, because for me not to, for me to just close my mind off to any other um, ex explanation and and not to listen to anything else or anyone else's opinion would be just like the um, what Stanford Freeman likes to term the noisy negativist. You know, they've already made up their mind. Don't show me the data. That's um, right. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, it would it wouldn't be fair for me to say anything else. I mean, to believe anything else, but. But right now, where I am now in my life and what I know and what I've learned from my experiences, I believe that they're real physical experiences. How is your husband handling all of this? Well, he's a wonderful person, and I don't know, I feel very lucky. He's, he's uh, had his own experiences. Um, he doesn't care to pursue... Um, an in-depth investigation about his own um, involvement. He does have his memories and deals with them in his own way. Um, I, I've had a lot of people like you uh, tell people when I ask, uh, you know, for, for other people that have been abducted, um, I ask, should these people investigate 
what they think is an abduction in their own life or multiple abductions. And a lot of people like yourself have said, no, unless it's bothering you to the degree right. it's disrupting your life, don't, mm -hmm. don't do it. Right. I, I agree with that. It's the old saying, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not having problems and you don't have memories and then they're not, you know, if your missing time isn't bothering you, um, then congratulations. I'm really happy for you and get on with your life and live it to the fullest. You know, that's, that's how I feel. <laughs> All right. Missing time. That's another good topic, and we'll jump on that in just a moment and begin to open the telephone lines. Katerina, hold on just a moment. My guest is Katerina Wilson, and uh, she has been abducted um, many times. If you have questions for her or about abduction or one of your own experiences, uh, we're going to open up the lines in just a moment. Stay right where you are. This is Dreamland. One two two two, or the wildcard line at seven zero two seven. This is the CBC Radio Network. In a moment, the lines open for Katerina Wilson. I'd like to re now, as promised, here's how to order the newsletter. I'm going to give you a telephone number and an address. Katerina Wilson. Uh, Katerina, hi. Hi. Are you ready for a few questions? Well, I thought I was going to have some missing time, so if yes. I'm not here, now, <laughs> yes, of course, I'm ready for the phone. <laughs> All right, we'll get to missing time in a moment. Let's sure. get to the phone uh, calls. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with Katerina Wilson. Hi, um, I just had a question for you. For me? Yes, for you. All right. Okay, uh, my friend just moved to Sacramento, and he loves your show, and he listens every Sunday, and he wants to know how he can get it down there. In Sacramento? Right. On KSTE Radio. KSTE? KSTE uh, in Sacramento, and I believe they're on 650 on the dial. That's great, and your show is great. Okay. Really enjoy every Sunday also. Thank you very much for the call, sir. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Katerina Wilson. Hi, hello? Art. Yes, uh, hello? Yes, hi, Art. This is Julie from Eagle River. Eagle River, Alaska. Okay, you're going to have to speak up for us good and loud. Okay. Um, hi. I wasn't expecting to get on so soon. Um, I've been listening to your show religiously for a long time. I've read everything I can on UFOs. And after the show last week, I went and bought that book, Mary's Message to the World. Yes. And it just, it just, I feel like it just has cleared everything up about the babies, the hybrid babies and everything. If you read that book, it makes you feel like, because um, Mary has said that when our world ends up here, that we're going to continue on somewhere else. And that we'll be having, um, we'll, we'll all look completely different, we'll be a lot more spiritual, and we'll be a lot different. And they do mention the UFOs in that book. And you just wonder if maybe they're not just getting us ready for when that's going to happen. All right, thank you. Um, Katerina, what about that? Um, oh, yeah, I'd like to comment on that. Um, that is um, a theory that is uh, has been stated um within the ufo uh community i uh actually know an abductee here in portland who has had experiences now when i say when i mention an abductee i know the person i've known them for a while it's not just somebody i talk to once or twice i know them as a friend mm -hmm. and so i feel confident relaying this this information um she has had experiences during which she has um uh, seen for, for example seen a um 
the life force leave a child and go into another body and she has been asked uh, or encouraged to practice leaving her body to move into a new body that will be waiting for her when the time is right and and she's told that when it is time for you to do this you will know and you will know how how to move from your old body into your new body hmm. and um, this to me kind of you know and, and infers or implies that um, maybe there is maybe something will be happening during our lifetime that um, we will be leaving these bodies and moving into other bodies I mean it's not just this one person I've heard this from other people but I'm relaying her information because I know her as a person and I know that she she's a good honest individual and she's also an abductee and she's worked with a clinical psychologist so um, I actually was holding Mary's message to the world today in a bookstore oh, no and kidding. I said I should buy this book and I didn't buy it I don't know why I said oh I really should and you and should so, buy it I, I agree I think you that should buy maybe it. I'll go back tomorrow and get it I wonder I wonder Katarina what what it is that uh, has some people who are abducted getting in effect messages for the world and others, like yourself, not really getting messages for the world, but just being subject of uh, medical experimentation, apparently. Yeah, I don't know. I, I ask that question a lot, too. Um, I, myself, I've had an experience um, after both of the books were published. Um, this year, I saw a gray alien and a blonde child uh, sitting side by side. And I watched the life force of the gray alien go into the blonde child. Where, the little blonde boy looked like he was about five years old. This where was, was this? This was on a ship and behind a glass wall. I was on one side of the glass wall. They were on the other side of the glass wall. And after the life force went into the child, the child um, kind of, they were sitting down. He, he stood up, and then he teleported himself I mean with thought I knew that with thought he was um, floating himself and he went into this little playroom and he was floating and I thought my god these beings are telekinetic I mean you know they can teleport themselves and uh, it was just phenomenal to see this but I also felt a, you know from my point of view I felt a great sadness because the life force left the gray uh, alien I mean he died and I felt really sad, but then in another way, I think that maybe I just didn't understand. Was the, was, well, uh, I, I need to understand more about this. Was okay. the young boy uh, human? The young boy was, I would say, humanoid. I don't know if he was, well, certainly wasn't human because he, he could float. I mean, he could, you know, at will float himself around. Well, I meant, I meant physically in appearance. Uh, physically in appearance, he, he looked um, human with the exception that he had a very muscular upper body. Um, he was about five years old, and he had a muscular upper body. And had, you saw the life force of the alien, the gray, leave that gray's body and go into the young uh, five-year-old boy. Right. That's right. a little frightening, uh, it was, Well, it was very sad for me. I, I felt a great sadness during the experience and the following couple of days. And uh, I just hope that it was, uh, you know, a volunteer thing, you know, for the for the gray. I th I hope he volunteered to do that, and was not forced. Uh, well, I guess it occurs to me, long way, but uh, if that was a human boy, Janarina, uh he in effect is now possessed. Well, 
it didn't seem well let's let me the way I look at it is if uh the soul is eternal, which I believe we have a soul and I believe the soul is eternal um for for instance, each time we come back to this planet, we know we live in a human body or a physical body, mm-hmm. and if we if we come back more than once, then we're going to need more than one body so you know we're getting a little more into reincarnation here than than perhaps what we're talking about. But are you are you a believer in, in re- reincarnation? Uh, yes. In that re- in that respect, that I believe the soul is eternal, and that that part, the life force of of the individual continues, whether you're in the physical body or not. All right. In uh, that respect, I do. All right. On the toll free line, you're on the air with Katerina Wilson. Hi. Good morning, Art. Or good evening, Art. This is Leonard in Albany, Oregon. Hello. And I have a question for uh, Katerina. Is that how you say it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I've always wondered, is it possible, if you haven't ever met any of these alien uh, peoples or anything like that, is it possible for you, if you have a desire to get in contact with them, to uh, to contact them without them contacting you? <laughs> well, I certainly have had my moments where I wanted to uh, relay information to them, and uh, I... I explain in my book, and I, I know other abductees have explained that they can sense when the beings are nearby. Sometimes they don't get visited, but they know they're nearby, and they might be tuning in to them, uh, watching them, listening, or some kind of mental uh, mental tuning in to the abductee, uh, like to maybe check on them. Hmm. Uh, so they're not physically abducted, but in those instances, when you sense that, or when I have sensed that, I have given them messages, <laughs> and I tried to relay my thoughts or my, you know, what, you know, my message was or my information or the, my question. Well, what about somebody who has never had any interaction with them? Would you say uh, you're out of your mind uh, for wanting to do such a thing and be careful what you wish for? I would or? definitely say be careful what you wish for because there is a lot of, um, there's a lot more out there besides extraterrestrial beings, and if you want to open yourself up, um, for instance. The Ouija board is a good example. It really if is. If you want to open yourself up, there are spirit beings. You know, there are there are forces out there that would gladly entertain you, <laughs> and would would probably <laughs> mis, misguide you. And I would say, be very careful what you wish for. Yes. Um, I don't think any of us, when we were six years old or five years old, said, "Gee, I want to be an abductee or I want to be abducted by aliens." Uh, well, I'm sure there are know. some people, Katerina, who listen to this and think, "Oh, how romantic." Oh, it'd be great. Boy, what a story I'd have to tell. I'd be a unique individual if this happened to me. I mean, there are people who, for their own reasons, maybe even self-esteem, uh, uh, Katerina, would, uh, uh, would, would, would like to have this happen. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I would say that we are all unique. Uh, you, you don't have to have this in your life to be special. I don't think I'm special at all. Um, you know, I... I'm simply a normal person who happens to be involved, you know, or they happen to be involved with me. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I, I would feel a little sad for somebody that would want, that would really want this in their life. Uh, it is a wondrous story, you know, but when you look at the whole picture, um, it's 
it's mind-boggling. You know, it's it's the biggest story that you know the the biggest event that that humankind has ever had to look at. And but you're you're not thoroughly convinced, are you, that it's real, or are you? I don't. I'm wanna... I'm thoroughly convinced that it's real. Yes. This is 100% real to me. Well, a little while ago you said you would hold your mind open. Oh yeah, I'm. I like I said, um, I am right now. I am. I believe these are real beings. That these aliens are real. They're really coming here. Um, but I can't totally close off my mind to the possibility that one day, uh, as we learn more, you know, about our minds and how the brain operates, because we really don't know that much about the brain. Um, Who's to say what we're going to learn? That really and, is the truth. Yeah. And that's something that's, you know, that's something that, you know, maybe it's just this little window over here with this beam of light shining through that, you know, it's just this little bit of belief that we're going to go in that direction, but I, I still have it there. It's not, I just can't totally close off my mind to that possibility. Well, it's called, it's called an open mind, Katarina. Yeah. Uh, the, well, the, I guess. On the wild card. But right, I really, you know, I believe that this is a real phenomenon affecting us worldwide. Good enough. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Katarina Wilson. Hi. Hi. Thanks for letting me be on. This is Carol up in Mount Shasta. Hi, Carol. Uh, two things, Katarina. Um, one, I'll take my answers on the air. How, I have a feeling that there are more walking about among us than most would, ex would suspect. So my question is, how many millions are weaseling their way into our society? And the other is, I'm kind of appalled at your lack of horror. I mean, you're being used to as an experimental guinea pig. There's mixing and matching going on by strangers that are messing up our airs. And I, for one, don't like it. I want someone in contact with them to say no. All right. Uh, a good point. First questions first. Uh, how many millions do you think are walking among us? Is it millions? Uh, is it a few? Is it increasing numbers? What do you think, Katerina? Well, you know, this is purely speculation on my part. And, you know, I really don't know. I don't think it's millions. But, you know, what do I know? <laughs> I think that um, there are probably, uh, I would say, out of the choices, I would say increasing numbers. Increasing um, numbers. Yeah, I would say increasing numbers and leave it at that because I'm really, I don't, I don't really know. What makes you think, Katerina, that we are not being, in effect, slowly, it's a hor horrible uh, scenario, but that we are not being slowly replaced as, um, as the gray placed or joined the life force of the five-year-old boy you talked about? Well, the, you know, when we, when we talk about the existence of a soul, God, you know, can create many, many different types of, of beings, not just human beings. Um, I think that uh, the mixing is probably, you know, perhaps there are alien souls incarnating on the planet, you know, into this earth plane, if you will. Uh, and I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, who's to say that I'm not an alien soul? You know, who's to say that I don't really belong here because of where my soul originated? You know, nobody can 
really, you know, that's right, not well, that, fair. That, that kind of walks um, us into the second question about your apparent lack of horror at what's going on. Now, you do seem fairly comfortable about this, even at times almost joking about it. How come? Well, um, my rule is it's okay to laugh at myself, laugh with myself. I never laugh at other abductees. Um, I don't do that. So I have to be able to laugh at myself because it is very difficult. It is very painful uh, sometimes. Not physical, just you know, physically. So then, there, is, is there this is physical pain? Okay, so is this a, uh, a a protective reaction on your part, Katarina? Well, I'm, I just I try, I try to stay balanced and focused. And yes, it is very hard. And yes, I have my bad days. Uh, I get down about this. Um, you know, when I think about what they're doing, what they're creating, um, I think about the little the babies. Um, it hurts. It's painful. I don't like it. But on the other hand, I would like to uh, invite um, human beings who are listening to consider what we are doing to animals, and let's see how they feel about their position. Um, you know, we don't know for a fact that animals are not conscious, don't have a soul, and I think that, you know, how can we um, be so mad at the, what the aliens are doing when what we do to, to animals is, you know, much, much worse than what has, has been done to me. All right. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Katarina Wilson. Hi. Hello. This is Fritz from Phoenix. Hello, Fritz. Well, Katarina, it's a pleasure uh, to hear how well adjusted you are to the abduction program. You really are natural. Oh, thank you. And uh, I would say this, uh, on your next journey, tell them that you want something in return for your cooperation. Tell them you want some knowledge about the coming earth changes or any information about a, concerning a planet. I think uh, you have a, a good point. Maybe I am a little too uh, obedient, and uh, I, you know, could probably... Um, incubate some questions if i if i feel or sense their presence again i think that's probably a good step for me to take well use your leverage you're definitely a natural for that well, i will give it a try all right fritz thank you yes uh he does make a good point if you could ask any question of them uh katarina and be assured of an answer what would you ask i would ask for the truth about what they're doing the truth yes, about i would like the truth about them regardless of what that answer is um if we're you know if the whole planet's going to die tomorrow or whether it's you know it's a wondrous thing i would i want the truth and i i do ask them that you know i i do sense their presence before visit and i try to orient myself you know my mind and i try to relax and i i try to just concentrate on the question and and it's Nine times out of ten, it's tell me the truth about why you're here and why you're doing this. And I've asked that question a lot. Um, and you, and you do. What do you get? Uh, a big silence? Or what? I don't really get. I don't get an answer. If they've told me it's their decision that I'm not, you know, allowed to remember it consciously, there's a chance that I have the answer, but I'm not remembering it on a conscious level. And. You know, perhaps hypnosis would help, and perhaps I'm not ready. I don't know. Is there? Uh, I think I'm ready. Is there uh, any point during your abductions when you have been terrified? Yes. When? Um, I believe there is a, a particular being. I, 
my my experience is I believe it's um, a type one uh, gray. Uh, I've described this this type of being as a mind prober, uh, mind controller, and before I realized who they were, they would terrify me because their presence was just so very alien, so different from anything I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, once I realized who they were and what they looked like and that they weren't going to harm me, I was no longer afraid of them. And so when I felt that presence, um, you know, it didn't, I wasn't, I didn't fear it. Now, there's, there's another time, <laughs> the, the part of my experience is when you read my book, you'll realize that the actual leaving my bed is the part um, that terrifies me the most because you are literally placed in a different space. Leaving um, not just your bed, really, but your body as well. Sometimes um, I think these are astral uh, projections. Projections. Kater- a lot of, Katerina, think, we're at the top of the hour, so okay. rest for about five or six minutes. I want to focus minutes. on the physical reality of the abduction phenomenon. We'll be right okay. back and do that. We continue with your calls on Dreamland with Art Bell. Call Art now, toll free at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-TALK. First time callers, area code 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Or the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295. 727-1295 in the 702 area code. Now again, here's Art Bell. Now again, here I am. This is Dreamland. Good evening. And uh, it's kind of a big uh, evening in a lot of ways. Wilson, Katerina, mm-hmm. I've got a fax here. And let me read it in its entirety, and I'll just let you respond to it the way you would like to, all right? Okay. Art, ask Katerina about the meat of this issue. What are her feelings about the future? Why are so many aliens here at this time in history? When does she think there'll be a public appearance? Can she at least speculate on the information she thinks the aliens are withholding? How about the dreams she's had? Regarding these questions, what has she learned from the hundred other abductees she's interviewed, 60 actually, I can find descriptions of spaceships and encounters in any bookstore. The strength of your Dreamland interviews is that they cut through the crap and get to the heart of the matter. (laughs) So can you uh, shed any light on any of those questions? Could you repeat a few of them for me? Sure. What are your feelings about the future? Pretty dim. (laughs) Why? Um... Well, I, you know, if I, I was thinking earlier that maybe I should just uh, do a little speculating and not worry so much about, you know, what everybody's going to say about, you know, Dr. Overlaid used to say, well, what, what do you think, Katerina, if you just let your fantasy or your, your, your uh, um, imagination, you know, take this? Uh, information forward. Yes. Uh, so, you know, looking at it that way, if I were to just say, okay, going on what I know and what I feel and uh, goodness, you know, why are they here and all the things that I've seen them doing, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense that if you are coming to a planet to really help the planet, to help the people of the planet, you know, that you would keep so much information from them. <laughs> 
And uh, we play so many games with them. Yes. Um, so, so the lack of the lack of uh, their willingness to be open and honest with us is not a real positive thing. It leads me to believe that they are hiding or withholding information. Um, that that's not necessarily in our uh, you know for our good. Right. Um, now on the other hand, if there's some catastrophic event that's going to happen that they can't keep from happening, let's say an asteroid's going to hit the planet, and there's nothing they can do about it, and uh, you know, generally when we have large asteroid strikes, that pretty much wipes out everything. Um, then, you know, if I were uh, an alien race of, you know, perhaps scientists, just some of these beings are, I'd probably want to salvage what life I thought was important or and what life I thought I could manipulate into being so what I wanted it to be. You feel something like that is on the way? I think it's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. And why? I, I would definitely. Uh, I mean, look what we're doing. Uh, we're manipulating the genetic code of, of other plants and animals, and this is nothing new for us. Soon, um, humans. Uh, why are so many aliens here at this time in history? Do you think? And I guess that goes to the answer you just gave. You think something is about to happen? Well, I think something is is going to happen. Yeah. Whether it's a man-made catastrophe or if it's an asteroid. Uh, followed by enormous geologic repercussions, which is what's going to happen if we have a large enough asteroid. And I'm not talking about this because Without Warning was on last weekend. This is something I published in my book in March, um, way before the movie came out. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, you know, you, you would want to take samples and, and representations of the life on that planet and uh, perhaps put it back in a million years. Uh, in some other form, or put it on another planet, or in a laboratory, for that matter. So, I mean, I, I kind of, um, you know, back back when I really didn't know anything about abductions except that I was involved, and oh my God, you know, I got to figure this out. My first thought, um, back in 1987 or early '88, I remember it was in this different house. It was early '88. Was well, gee, this must be what the rapture is all about. You know, how else can you get human bodies off the planet mm -hmm. without any trace? <laughs> you know, you beam them up. So, yes. And, I, you know, I hate that phrase. It's so Star Trek-y. But, uh, you know, when you can move bodies in, in white light and blue light, uh, when you can move physical objects and change physical objects and change the molecular structure of people and objects, um, which apparently these beings can do, uh, you know, that's... To me, that you know, back in 1988, I thought, well, that would explain the rapture, that scenario. And um, with all the different pieces of information that people are getting and the, the different forms it's coming through, whether it be uh, a classical, you know, abduction, experiencer case, or channeled information, we're all getting a piece of this, uh, this puzzle, whatever you want to call it. And it leads everybody, I mean, it's all leading to the direction that some big event is going to happen. I'm not going to say it's going to happen in the year 2000, uh, but, it, you know, I think it's going to happen in my lifetime. I'm 34 years old, and I think that in my lifetime I'm going to see uh, a heck of a lot more changes than what I've seen so far. All right, Katerina, on the toll-free line, you are on the air. Good evening. Hi, Art, Jim in St. Louis. Jim in St. Louis. Yes, hi, Jim. Katerina, I've got a uh, theory for you, and I'm going to run it by you, and I'd like for you to tell me what you think. I recently got done reading a book uh, by George C. Andrews um, in which there were, at many different times and places, 
law enforcement officials were baffled by um, outbreaks of um, waves of like a child abductions, um, and I don't mean uh, UFO type thing. I mean um, they say that statistically there are just not enough clever uh, kidnappers to uh, to account for all of the massive numbers of people that are abducted and never come back worldwide, all of the missing people, do you have any opinion as to whether some of these uh, many thousands and thousands of people that are gone or missing could be taken up and just never returned? It's a good point, Katerina. Yeah, it is. It's a good question. Um, I, think, uh, I think some of the people that have disappeared may be abductees that are, were not returned. I think many of the children and adolescents that are disappearing are probably done by a family member. And, you know, we're going to find them one day. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I think there is another percentage that, that have been murdered, you know. Bring them back. Um, yeah, I think that's 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 happening. I think that accounts for some of the missing people, but certainly not all of them. I'm going to uh, kind of add up a lot of questions that uh, S in Santa Barbara has here and simply ask you, have you ever wondered, uh, Katerina, whether you might be an alien? Well, yes. <laughs> Gee, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get kicked out of MUFON for that one. No. <laughs> Actually, I have, uh, especially when back in 88, I asked, I told my mother that um, I really thought there might be something to uh, Charles Hickson and, and Calvin Parker's abduction experience in Mississippi, which was, you know, back when I, she didn't know anything about my involvement. And this was my way of kind of breaking the subject to her. And I said, you know, and, and what other people are finding out is that there's some kind of uh, interest in our reproductive behavior by the aliens, that they seem interested in... Um, our, you know, reproductive aspect, and my mother just out of the blue blurted out, well, your father was an alien. Your father was probably an alien. And, wow. you know, oh, I guess 30 seconds went by before either one of us said anything, and it was just like, I was thinking, why the hell did you say alien? And uh, alien is not in her vocabulary. I mean, she has never said that word in her life. Um, and... I don't know. I have, <laughs> I have since that time wondered um, what on earth they could be interested in me for. Um, and that's something, you know, when you're looking at genetics and the unusual pregnancy my mother had with me, and you know, I wonder if... Un could... Unusual, Katerina, in what way? Well, she was pregnant and she had it confirmed. She went in to see her doctor, you know, examinations and everything. Um, and in her... In her third month, uh, early fourth month, um, she went to the doctor and um, lo and behold, there's nothing there. She's not pregnant anymore. She didn't have a miscarriage. Really? Um, and so she thought, well, that's odd, but <laughs> um, my mother just was one of those women that didn't question doctors. I don't know how many women really questioned doctors uh, 30, 40 years ago. Um, so a few... <laughs> Oh, I, I can't remember. One or two months later, you know, she goes back thinking she's pregnant. Um, he examines her, and she is pregnant. And 
and she's well into her pregnancy. <laughs> um, I think she was again about three months pregnant. That is odd. And um, of course, my mother was hysterical at this point because, for some reason, she thought she told the doctor. Uh, she says, "I don't know why, but I was hysterical. I was crying, and and I told the doctor that that baby." You know, if it survived in the first place, it would never be normal. It would just never be a normal baby. And he kept assuring me that everything would be okay, and, and that baby was mm. born, and that baby was me. But somehow, very deep inside, and, and a very emotional mother didn't believe that that baby would ever be born normal. Gee, I'm glad and, I asked the question. So, so I mean, I you know, personally, yeah, I wonder, is there some part of me that's not human? And, you know, I just don't know. I have... You know, I don't know. <laughs> you would think that the doctors, the blood typing, and well, as, as a follow-up comment, Katerina, maybe that accounts for your attitude about all this. Perhaps, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe that's something they've told me. You know, that maybe they've told me that um, I'm not all human, or I'm part of them, and. Uh, Maybe there's a part of me that, that believes that or knows that somehow. Well, I mean, what about that baby they told you was yours? <laughs> that that probably I believe more than anything. Uh, my mother doesn't make stuff up like that. She doesn't know enough about um, well, no, know, I, medicine I meant, to be I meant, able to make up a story like no, that. No, Katerina, I meant the... Uh, oh, the, about my father? No, Katerina, the black child that oh, you saw. Oh, the black child. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen a lot of children, um, several... I, well, two I know were mine. Uh, I recognize them. They recognize me. And they weren't completely human children. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, that there's... So, you, so then, Kenarina, you've been a surrogate mother for aliens three times. At least. I think it's more like seven times. Seven times? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about those children. And, and uh, my fantasy about that, if anybody wants to know, is that one day I'll open my door and they're going to be standing there and they're going to live with me, you know, that I'm going to be able to be with them, or at least one of them. <laughs> All right. Uh, listen, on the toll-free line, you're on the air with Katerina Wilson. Hi. Hello. Hello. Where are you, sir? Portland. Portland, okay. I'd like to ask your guest uh, about two recent guests on your show, uh, Carla Turner and Leah Haley. Yes. And a follow-up question, uh, what does she think about uh, what the government knows about this agenda and what is their part in the intimidation, harassment, and even abduction of abductees? All right, uh, thank you. Uh, what about that? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, if you want to talk about being horrified about being abducted by somebody, let's, let's say how, how would we all feel if we were abducted by our government? Uh, you know, are members of the military. So this is a subject that, yes, Carla Turner has written about and Leah Haley has written about and I have written about. We have all seen military government people in our experiences, in our abduction experiences. What have you seen? I've seen um, people that I thought, uh, a couple of men that I somehow knew were with the CIA. I've been in underground bases where they told me they were with the secret government that were, was above the President of the United States. I've seen men in Navy uniforms, Marine uniforms, Army uniforms. Um, you know. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean... I've seen military bases. Uh, I've watched unusual craft 
fly uh, hover. All of this is detailed in your book, right? Right, right. I have um, uh, over the 32-year um, time frame that the book covers. There's 119 experiences, and out of those, there are 14 that involve military government um, aspects. And how do I feel about it? Yes. <laughs> well, gee. Um, I am asking myself, did the radiation experiments ever end? Uh, did that aspect of our government ever stop doing what it was doing to people? I mean, we the, the Tuskegee Institute experimented yes. on, on black men. That's right. They let them die so they could study uh, the syphilis. Um, we gave you know radiation tablets to infants <laughs> i mean to me if you can experiment on an infant you, anything goes so i mean i'm certainly fair game and i asked myself did these experiments stop is this uh, part of a continuation of uh, what uh, marchetti and marx talk about in the manchurian candidate or the cult of the cia you know cult of intelligence uh, the book about the cia the cia and the cult of intelligence I mean, we, we experiment on humans just like everybody else. All right. The caller also asked uh, about a couple of my recent guests, Carla Turner and Leah Haley. Do you mm -hmm. know them? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the question? Let's see. Relating to the military government aspect. Uh, well, they both told stories about Right. That. And I know Carla's husband, Casey, um had described in, in detail about an experience that occurred in an underground base uh, with the military, I think. Do you know where any of these underground bases actually are? Um, well, one of them, in the experience, I knew I was in eastern Canada, and uh, near the border of the United States in eastern Canada. And that was an underground facility. That was the one with the um, supposedly you... secret government. That, how, yeah, that... How, how did you know that? I'd been there before. Oh. So I mean, as I was walking toward it, I remembered being there before and knew I was in eastern Canada. Okay. And knew that I had been in the base, you know, in the underground base before. And, you know, I've been told that uh, there is a secret underground military base there, but this was just by somebody whose brother was working there, and he, you know, couldn't even tell me the name of it. Okay, back to the telephone lines, and on the wild card line, you're on the air with uh, Katerina Wilson. Hi. Hi, um, this is Patty from Aloha, Aloha, Oregon. Hi. Hi. Um, gosh, of all the guests that I've heard, um, nothing personal, young lady, but your listening to you gives, gives me a very uneasy feeling, and I will... I would just like to bring up the point about free will. I think as human beings, our most precious gift is the gift of free will, and it seems like the alien uh, influence and encounters are taking away this precious gift. It gives me an uneasy feeling. There was a Twilight Zone episode about 20 years ago in which um, the aliens landed on Earth, and there was a wonderful, oh, you know, of course, there were some people that reacted violently, but most people were very accepting, and they said, well, well we're here to serve man. We're here to serve man. And at the very end of the hour episode, the they left behind a book. And oh, the no one could, book. Right. Yes, no one could translate it. One man did, and everyone had left, and it yeah. turned out to be a cookbook. And cook I, book. I can't get that image out of my mind. After <laughs> um, humans, yeah. Yeah. Um, boy. The only other comment I'd like you to to touch on is you keep using what 
quote, humans do is as if it was a justification. Well, we do experiments on animals. Well, we do this. Well, right. we do genetic. As if that were an excuse, as if that made it right. If it's abhorrent for humans to do it, why isn't it abhorrent for aliens to do it? And I'll get off the air and listen to your answer. Thank you okay. very much. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think it's good for aliens to experiment on people. You know, I'm not saying because humans experiment on others that it's okay for aliens to experiment on us. Um, I'm just saying that if you were visiting a planet and, and, and studying the, the beings or people on that planet, you're going to look at their behavior towards the other species on their planet. And all I'm saying when I bring that up is, um, as far as the alien to human, human to other species, is that I'm just glad that I'm not being as treated as badly as I could be treated. Well, <laughs> I'm not saying I, I'm enjoying what they're doing. I'm not. Katerina, I almost share her feeling of unease about the way you presented this, and I think I now know why. Uh -huh. It's as though you're talking to us human beings as though you are a yourself a third party. Uh, have you noticed that's the way you present so many things, as though... Well, as that, though... that is what I feel my role is, um, my involvement in all of this. And that's the one thing I'm pretty darn sure of, is that, um, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to be some kind of spokesperson or an educator, and I try to remain neutral, and I try to present both sides of, you know, whatever, of the information that I have. Mm -hmm. And I try to do it in a neutral way. Um, you know, I can I can get all upset and hate the aliens and and you know instill a lot of fear and negativity in everybody, uh, but I don't see that as being very productive. All right. Now, as far as the government goes, I'm not by any means saying that it's okay for the government to do what they did and what I'm speculating they might might be doing now. All right, Katarina, um, hold that thought. We're at the bottom of the hour. We'll be right back. Katarina Wilson is my guest and. When I meant as a third party, Katarina, you might think about this uh, as we come back from the break. I meant as a non-human third party. We'll be back. This is a pre-recorded, previously broadcast program. From the Kingdom of Nine, you're hearing Dreamland with Art Bell. To participate in the program, call toll-free 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. First-time callers, area code 702-727-1222. Or the wildcard line at 702-727-1295. This is the CBC Radio Network. It is, and we're interviewing Katerina Wilson this evening. Very, very interesting guest, and this is beginning to head in a direction that is particularly fascinating. We'll get back to her in just a moment. First, uh, a word. Okay, back now to Katerina Wilson, and uh, Katerina, I've got another fax here for you. <laughs> Dear Art, please ask your guest, Katerina, what happened to the life force of the five-year-old whose body was taken over by the gray? Was the child a hybrid without a soul? Are all of these babies without souls? Also, I can't help but ask about the black child who was supposedly hers and her fiancé's. Has she seen it again? And what are what are your feelings toward that child? Well, that's a lot of questions. Um, uh, w was the child a hybrid, do you think, without a soul? 
No, I, my personal opinion about life is that if there's a life, there's a soul. Um, now, to me, the, the, the gray was a live gray, you know, with a, a life force. The, the little child was alive. He had a life force. Um, it was almost like a, a sharing or a, con, a contri, uh, like the gray was contributing his life force. And there were, it made the blonde, the little kid, uh, the blonde-haired boy, more than what he was before. Like he had more uh, energy. He was a, he was more of a whatever, you know, a person, if you want to say. Yes. But it, it wasn't, um, I did feel that the gray's body then did not have um, a life to it. That that soul was gone. The life force was gone. Right. The right. gray died because of that. All right. With reference to that child, which you said was yours, she's, she asked, did you ever notice any subtle changes uh, in your body, or was that a test tube baby from start to finish? I, with uh, my experiences, most of it is, most of this uh, genetic manipulation, the pregnancies are artificially uh, created. Uh, I did have an experience during which they told me that um, my baby was in the spindle phase, which is during the initial stages of cell, um, when the cell splits during mitosis. Um, yes. Now, that happens hours after the sperm and egg meet. And this is not something, I mean, we can do this, we can watch this. I mean, if you've watched the Learning Channel, you've seen this under a, micro, a microscope. Um, but, you know, we can't determine that somebody's pregnant that early on. I mean, we, you know, our, our tests just don't show that. But they are able, they can tell when it's in the spindle phase. So uh, I mentioned this in the book. I think that they're, they can artificially inseminate and remove before a woman will even know she's pregnant. From Santa Barbara, why would a person not want to remember that they were a member, they were a member of an alien race? Hmm. Did I say that? I don't know. No, it's just... I have no idea why somebody wouldn't want to remember um, if they were a member of an alien race or not. I don't know. I think it would be an individual decision. I mean, some people might, some people might not. All right. Well, hmm. again, I noticed, uh, Katerina, that the way you're approaching all this is almost from a third-party point of view, almost from an alien point of view, almost as if to say to the audience... Don't worry about all this. Uh, your attitude says don't worry about this or that it's all right. Mm, I'm not saying it's all right. And uh, I, don't, I don't mean to imply that I'm saying, you know, what's happening is okay. But I don't want people to expect me to be, um, because I'm a woman and I'm an abductee, I am not going to view myself as a victim. And if people don't like my presentation or are uncomfortable with the neutrality of that, that's because they're trying to place me uh, in a category where, oh, it should be poor Katerina, all she's been through. Yeah, I went through that, and, mm. and I'm really glad I'm not there anymore because it's not fun to wallow around in, in you know, self-pity. Right. I'm an abductee. I'm having experiences. There's, you know, I know I have free will. Um, I don't, I'm not a weak-willed person because I'm being abducted. Um, you know, I'm trying to present the information. Uh, I'm not going to get emotional about it because that doesn't do anybody any good, and I don't want people to view me as a victim, and I don't want people to feel sorry for me. And that's my presentation. 
Uh, I've been there. I'm not going to go back. All right, good enough. Uh, Toll-free line, you're on the air with Katarina Wilson. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Tom in Seattle. Hello, Tom. A couple of questions for Katarina. Sure. Uh, number one, what did the life force of the alien that went into the child look like? You said you saw it. Mm -hmm. And number two, I heard a UFO speaker uh, present a theory that the grays are here to... Um, they had done something that had, they'd lost their emotions and that they needed to uh, hybrid with us to get this emotional capacity restored to them. All right. That uh, was their purpose. Katarina? Okay, the life force, um, gee, I can only describe it as the way I would know that a, a male... See, a male alien is a male, a female alien is a female. You know, it's an inner knowing what's going on. But also, it was like I I saw, oh, I don't know, I don't want to say it's a light, um, but it, more of a, just a energy going from the gray into uh, the little boy. And that's the best way I can describe that. Um, um, you know, I, I know that you present that in a, in a positive way, but again, I find it kind of chilling because well, it... Yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure that it's positive. I'm saying I was deeply hurt and depressed the next day. I mean, I was on the phone with my uh, abductee buddy here in Portland, and I was telling her about it. And I how... know, but your, your emotions were for the gray, as I recall, right? You were sorry well, for the gray. Well, yeah, I mean, the little boy was fine. He went off and started playing. Oh. Yeah, he teleported himself, picked up a little ball, threw it through a little circular hoop-like thing, like maybe a basketball-type thing, and, and he just went in the playroom and started playing with his toys. He was fine. Mm. He was happy. He was strengthened. And the gray was gone. And the gray was an empty shell. Okay. And I I saw it as kind of a sacrifice, but how do we know, you know, on the other hand, that the gray doesn't have now a better body? <laughs> um, and maybe the little boy agreed to share his body. I don't know. I don't look at that as possession. I know some people might, but the little boy was fine. He was strong and healthy and went on to play. All right. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with Katerina Wilson. Hi. Hi. This is, uh, let me turn my radio down. Um, right, thank you. Where uh, where are you calling from, sir? I'm calling from San Diego, California. All right, Kogo, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, I was just um, wondering. Um, um, I'm not one to blaspheme or nothing like that, but I was um, considering a lot of different um, references in the Bible to alien presences and stuff like that. And I was referring to angels. Uh huh. As far as um, as the angel descended from the sky and. Oh yes, uh, there have been such references. Um, yeah, it, it is an interesting question, Katarina. Do you think the references in the Bible, and there have been many uh, that people interpret that way anyway, uh, are referring to the aliens? I think that um, the most most important term, uh, the most important phrase that you you can, you know, we need to mention here is a human being's interpretation. Uh, I believe that. There is a possibility that some of the human beings interpreted an alien as an angel. Um, I also think that there's a good chance that angels are angels. And so, yes, I think maybe 
you know, some of the interpretations uh, in the Bible of angels might have been an extraterrestrial being. Uh, some of the extraterrestrial beings we're hearing about, you know, light beings, uh, white robes, they're yes. floating, yes. they're surrounded by white light, they come and um, they speak about God and the, and the God force and wonderful positive messages. Um, who's to say that's not an angel? You know, and we're calling them extraterrestrial. So I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm not a, a a scholar of the Bible. So I think that there is, you know, human interpretation. All right. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with Katerina Wilson. Hi. Hi. What can you tell us about missing time? All right. Yes, thank you. I'm glad you brought that back up. Where are you calling from, please? Uh, San Diego. San Diego. Missing time. Well, missing time is um, a phenomenon that's often associated with uh, an abduction um, and generally you know people will be going about their normal activities and um, will suddenly realize an hour or two uh, sometimes more has passed and you it only feels like a minute you know has gone by mm -hmm. and a lot of times there's just no memory you know you're washing dishes at the sink it's one o'clock and all of a sudden you're standing at the sink and there are the dishes and it's four o'clock and you have no memory. Uh, some people have memory of, you know, being with aliens and on their craft. And um, But that's kind of it in, in a nutshell. Um, I asked somebody here in Portland, a friend of mine, um, who, you know, I the last thing I would expect him to say is that he's involved in this. And I said, well, you know, have you ever been doing something, um, you know, driving along or, you know, working in your house or something, and then all of a sudden notice that, a lot of time went by that you couldn't account for and just out of the blue i mean this person just about broke down into tears and started talking about well i was at this flashing yellow light and i was going to turn right and i was at a flashing yellow light and the next thing i know i'm on mount st helens in my car you know up at the visitor center that would bring a person um, to tears he, was, he broke down sure and i had no idea this person had anything like this i mean i don't even recall why I asked him why I asked him the question, but um, that's an example. I mean, and and to to know that you you're missing hours out of your your day can can you know be upsetting. Um, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's oh gee, that's odd, and they go about doing what they were doing, and maybe 20 years later, it gets upsetting. Uh, then they they for some reason, you know. Um, they put two and two together. They they remember something they didn't remember before, and they go, "Oh my God, that didn't make sense." Where did those five hours go, or two hours? Or something? Interesting. Uh, interestingly, Katerina, a lot of uh, the best researchers in uh, ufology uh, for years and years researched and looked into sightings. They finally, most of them, became satisfied the sightings were real. Mm -hmm. The craft really were here. Now they have turned to people like you as the best avenue, they say, of continued research, abductees. Do you agree with that? Well, I think we're um, a logical resource for information. Um, now, with the kinds of experiences where you have your classical abduction case, you have teaching dreams, you have visions, theatrical scenarios, yes. te teaching dreams, you know, those kinds of things going on, um, I have always thought that it's important to look at all of those, not just on-the-table examinations. And so I think that you can learn a lot about the alien psychology and perhaps learn about 
more about what they're up to during, by looking at these other kinds of experiences. During all of these uh, examinations, probes, uh, pregnancies, uh, or, or just removal of, of ovum, have, uh, they, have they hurt you? Physically? Yes. They've hurt me physically and they've hurt me mentally. Um, the physical pain, as any woman who's born a child will tell you, passes, and it does. Um, you know, I don't enjoy physical pain. I have gotten out of bed and fallen to the floor because I couldn't walk. I've had blood on my sheets. I've had puncture wounds in my body. You know, that, that doesn't feel good, but it heals. Um, I, think, I think the hardest thing is the mental, um, the mental wounds, you know, the anxiety, the constant sure. anxiety. Of, sure. Okay, I know they're going to come back. When is it going to be? And, um, you, but, you, you know, you cannot focus on that. You cannot uh, keep focusing on the what ifs. Um, you know, what if, what if, I'm scared, I'm frightened, yeah, but you have to, you have to get beyond that, or you're never going to have a life. I mean, have we you? have a life here, we have a right to live our life. Yes. Um, you know, the best we can, even though all this other stuff is going on, and, and the people that are successful at getting beyond that, like, like myself and a lot of other people, shouldn't be, um, blamed or, or looked upon with suspicion because we've gotten through it. You know, we should... I think we should, you know, be commended for our strength and that we're willing to move on and willing to share our information. Have you been abducted since your book? Yes. Yeah. How frequent is it? Um, oh, I, I would say um, once a month, uh, sometimes more, um, maybe two or three months without something. And then, you know, abductions aren't always, I mean, they're not regular. You can have an abduction every night for four days. Five, five nights or something, uh, and then you may not have one for three months or a year. Um, I don't go as long as, as a year. Uh, I think the longest I've gone is, is, you know, since 1987 is about four months. What have you tried to do to prevent it? I have, um, I pray every day, which is not something I did um, prior to 1987. Um, I believe in a God force. And when I feel low and I feel down or I'm just tired of it, you know, I pray. And I, I focus on, on the creative force. And, you know, although I want the truth and I know that the truth might be painful, there, there are times when um, I'm tired of the deception. And I know I have free will. And um, I don't give them uh, permission. You know, I don't lie in bed at night and say, okay, come get me. I'm in the mood. I don't do that, you know. That's not how it works. And um, I do want the truth, and, you know, I don't know in the end what is really going to take place. Um, I guess none of us know that. You know, if I knew, goodness, you know, I'd certainly, I'd certainly tell everybody. All right. Uh, on I, I want to, um, before the show ends, I want to be able to give out my address. By all um, means, go ahead and do it now. Yeah, let me do that. Um, if anybody is interested in in the book and you want an autographed copy of course you can get it at Barnes and Nobles uh, at Christmas it should be available um, but it's um, Puzzle Publishing and um, it's P.O. Box 230023 and that's Portland, Oregon and the zip code is 97281-0023 and um, Postpaid, the book's twenty six ninety five, and I'll be happy to sign it for you. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to write.
Okay, give the address again, please. Oh, P.O. Box 230023, Portland, Oregon, 97281-0023. And you'll autograph a copy? Sure. Autograph all my books, uh, except for the ones that go into the bookstore. So. <laughs> Uh, those orders are kind of big. But, All right, so if yeah. they want an autographed copy, they're going to need to send... Yeah, twenty six ninety five. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, post office box 230023. Right. Portland, Oregon, 97281-0023. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. All right, well, I very much have enjoyed having you here Katerina you've been a very unusual and different kind of interview as a as an abductee you have a very different attitude has anybody ever told you that I am told that most often uh, I after I present lectures and things and I get a lot of mail um, a lot of people actually <laughs> just just about well everybody's always complimentary they like my presentation they appreciate the fact that i haven't tried to scare them uh that i am you know i try to remain neutral um but you know of course tonight we heard a little some other attitude no it is <laughs> an interesting kind of surprise me but no i think um, it's a very interesting um and different uh, a sort of perspective to, yeah, to I hear think, you. I think people are used to uh, viewing, we're in an age of victimization. I mean, my God, you've never seen anything like that I know. You know, before. I mean, the 90s are the, the decade of victimization. And um, Well, don't I, be one. Katerina, we've got to go. We're, okay, we're, okay. Well, I want to say thank you, and it's been an honor to be able to share my information with everybody. And thank you so much for having me on Dreamland. Thank you, Katerina. You take care. Okay. All right. Uh, that's going to do it, everybody. We are um, absolutely out of time. It has been, uh, as always, a great pleasure. I would like to tell you to order a copy of this program. It was a very interesting program. Or any Dreamland program we do. Or to order a copy of our newsletter with your Visa and MasterCard. Please call 1-800-917-4278. Let me give that number one more time. It's our new tape number. And for the newsletter as well, it's 1-800-917-4278. This has been Dreamland, a very uh, different and unusual uh, kind of program. And we will continue in this same vein with another guest next week. And I'll be promoing that guest on my, uh, on my, my weekday show beginning Monday night, Tuesday morning through Friday night, Saturday morning called Coast to Coast AM. Thank you all from High Desert. Good night. All right, with that being said, I'm going to let you guys go. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed the Dreamline interview. While I'm working on the book, to not neglect you guys of content, maybe I'll put up some more Dreamline interviews or some other abduction cases that I happen to find audio. I want to thank the Goonies from Hot Routes from Outer Space. I want to thank Kathleen Martin and David Marley, as well as Bob Spearing for helping me and allowing me to teach you guys stuff that MUFON just might not. And with that being said, keep kicking it. <laughs>